How you doing good? You look great. And I uh, love just uh, this day, the day after Christmas. I hope you've had a, a wonderful time. And it was so fun Christmas Eve to, to meet many of your, your family members and to see. We had families here that like took up sections. I mean, it was just the whole group, and that's so fun. So I hope I hope you're enjoying your weekend. Thanks for coming uh, to today, day after Christmas. It's kind of one of those odd weekends where Christmas falls kind of the way it does. And so I uh, kind of thought, well, what can I talk about the day after Christmas? And I decided to really kind of keep that Christmas theme and talk a little bit about when Christmas is over. In the back of your bulletin, you can follow along. The mess was another title that I had for a while, The Mess After Christmas. Now, we're just going to be real honest here in these auditoriums today. How many of you right now, your trash cans are overflowing? Okay, look at that. I, I love it. Ours comes on Monday, and it's like so nice when it's all gone, you know? Um, how many of you have leftovers in the fridge? Anybody? Yeah, about everybody. I had a funny thing last night. We were at our son-in-law's birthday party, and uh, and someone said brought up the point about leftovers and praying over the food. and. And uh, do you have to pray over the leftover if you already prayed over it? <laughs> That's the contemplative question of the day right there. So this week when you're eating leftovers, just think about that. It's already blessed, right? I don't know. But it's funny how you, you have all of these things that happen on, on Christmas or Christmas Eve and, and the, from family to going somewhere and the mess it creates and the, the variety of activities that people do, the things they make and bake and on and on it goes. And sometimes it can just be like, wow, almost overwhelming and it can create a big mess. And I was thinking about that in light of the Christmas story. And, and I think of Joseph and Mary, and we're going to continue our little journey with them uh, for these few minutes, because it's, it's one thing to, to say yes to God about when Mary said, I, I'll do this, I, I'm willing, I'll, I'll do what, I'll obey, you know, and the Spirit of God conceives in her, and the Son of God is, is growing in her womb. Um, but what was it like for them there in the cave when it was over? Because for them, it was never over. <laughs> but the shepherds came, and the shepherds left. The wise men came, and the wise men left. There's ton, there are just so many things that I could point out that, that you're aware of probably already that happened in those moments of when Jesus was born. And, and then everybody's gone, and it's, is it just them and Jesus and Maybe the donkey still? I don't know. I mean, think about this. It's a weird thing. And they, they have to say, okay, we're going to do life differently now. Because to our knowledge, Joseph had never had a, a, a child. Mary had never had a child. And so this is, how many of you remember the first time you were a parent? I mean, I remember when Ryan was born our first, and it's sort of this way with, with the other two as well, but especially the first. I had never babysat, neither had Bonnie. We weren't around babies. We'd take this little baby home, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want to break it. You know, I just, it's the, it's, it makes you nervous because you don't know. If it, you, you, you don't want to drown it in the bathtub. You don't want to, you don't want to feed it. What if it chokes and you, you can't hear it breathing? And at night, you're, it's freaking me out because I'm trying to hear if, if he's breathing right. And all these things. Did Joseph and Mary, did they have all that stuff happen to them? course they did and and sometimes we sort of go through christmas like jesus is born yay and then we just move on to easter but 
You know what I mean? There's a, there's a whole lot of stuff in between that glorious night when Jesus was born and the events of 33 years on this earth. So, so today we're going to take a look at a few of those things. And I want you to really open your heart to some of the application of how this impacts our lives. I'm impacted by, by the rest of the story of Christmas, by the mess of the story, because this really does get messy. You'll see here in a few minutes. But there, there are four questions in your outline. If you have a bulletin, go to that back page, follow along. The first question I want you to consider today is, will I commit to finishing well? You know, will I make a personal goal, commitment, whatever you want to call it, to in my life, all the things I do, the components that are involved in my world, will I finish well? Now, until you're finished, you don't know if you finished well, right? So we don't know yet. But I admire people who finish strong and finish well. Now, in Luke chapter 2, verse 39, I'm just going to read a, a half of the verse, and then we'll read the other half in a minute. But it's a continuation of the story that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. Verse 39, when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all of the requirements of the law of the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. Jesus has been born, and when they had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, and it's going to say they went back to Nazareth. They had a few days there. They had some time there. It's not certain exactly how many or how long. But we know this. They did some things. And, and they didn't just take the baby and leave. There was this dedication of this child. They, they took Jesus to the temple. And they had this moment with Simeon. If you want to read the story, it's just in the verses before 39 where Simeon, this, he's waited for this his whole life. And he knows this is the Messiah. And he gives this wonderful prophecy over Jesus. And then, and then just a little bit later, here's, here's Anna who comes in. And there's this beautiful blessing and prophecy over Jesus there. Now, Joseph and Mary did not know this would happen with Simeon and Anna. And, and here's the point. On their way to do what the law required or asked of them, good things happened. Sometimes in our lives, it's not so much the destination where the good stuff happens. It's on the way there. It's our journey to those things. It's the day, daily grind, if I can say it that way. And, and all of a sudden something pops up that surprises us and catches us off guard. And we go, wow, this is, this is a God moment. This is, I see God in this. And I'm glad we were on this path. I'm glad we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. Because rarely is it about the destination when you walk with God. It is almost always about the journey. We don't like that. Because we like, uh, me, I like, I want to get where I'm going. Get in the car, kids. Put your seatbelts on. We're going there. Okay? But that's not how it is when we walk with God. It's kind of like, how many of you have something to put together that was a Christmas gift? Okay. A few of you do. You know, I remember putting together my first and only swing set for our children. I still have scars uh, from that. I remember halfway through saying, Bonnie, forget it. Let's go to the park. Those swing sets are better anyway. How many of you understand what I'm saying here? You know what I mean? Bicycles and all those cute little things that are really cool in the store when they work. But then you go home and put them together. It's, it's, it's sort of like that's sort of what I feel like this analogy, where this analogy is, is all the stuff that we have to do after our type of a Christmas versus Joseph and Mary saying, we have a baby now. It's, it's different forever. 
And, and it's, it's changed our lives. Will I start things or will I be a good finisher of those things as well? Because it's funner to start new things. New ideas, a lot of people are filled with new ideas. And it's wonderful to dream. And I like that. But will I finish the things that God asks me to finish? And that's what Joseph and Mary did so well. I admire, I really admire, and I want to, I want to take a moment to say this, because we, we have a lot of young people and, and young adults here at Timberline, and, and we love young people, young adults. We thank God for you. One of the, one of the groups in this church that are such a, a stabling factor for who we are as a church, and I deeply respect them, are our seniors, and who they are and who they have become. You know why? Because they, they have, so many of them are finishing well. And, and they are, aren't just starters, but they're, they're finishing things. And that's been on my mind a lot the last few months, watching so many of you who are in that category of life where you, you look back, yeah, of course you have a few regrets. Of, of course you would do a few things different. But in the idea of character and integrity and following God and honoring God, you didn't just start, you're, you're finishing. And that is commendable. And that is something that we as a church need to appreciate when we see that quality in people who finish things. Joseph and Mary didn't just make a commitment to have a baby. They made a commitment to raise a child. They made a commitment in their marriage. They made a commitment that said, you know what, this is not going to be easy. And they were ridiculed for it. I mean, they, they had some tough moments, but they stuck it out. And they pounded the pavement and they said, we're going to make this happen. And so that takes me to the second question, because this is where it starts to get messy. Number two in your outline is this. How will I adjust? How will I adjust to life in Nazareth? Now, some of you are saying, what is life in Nazareth? Okay, I want to tell you in just a second. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about Nazareth. All right. This is the second part of verse 39, Luke 2, 39b. Um, after it says they fulfilled all the requirements of the law, it says they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. Now, if you remember, I think it was last weekend we talked about the challenge to get to Bethlehem, right? And, and what is that Bethlehem God's trying to take you to? But this week, there's a similar idea. It's one thing for God to take us out of our norm to send us to Bethlehem, but it's quite another to ask us to live in Nazareth. Because Nazareth did not have a good reputation. Nazareth was not necessarily a place where people would choose to live unless they didn't, you know, unless they had lineage there, family there. And, and here's what the Bible actually says. There's this moment in Scripture when Philip is looking for Nathaniel and Jesus is actually calling his disciples. And Philip is about to tell Nathaniel that he found the Messiah. And I want you to listen to what Nathaniel says about Nazareth. This is in John chapter 1, verse 45. It's not on the screen, but just listen. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and uh, told him, We have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, of everything he just said, that Philip just said, Nathaniel heard one thing and he responds to that. Verse 46, he says, <clears throat> Nazareth? He exclaimed, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, here's this idea that this is a place that, that Nathaniel says, ugh, what good could come out of this place? Historians, you know, if you, if you look up Nazareth and you do a little research on it at this time, this stage, 
Uh, now it's about 10,000 people, but back in Jesus' day, it was believed to be between 15 and 20,000 people, a larger group. And uh, it, was, it was classified as kind of a rude, less cultivated class of people, whatever that means, uh, less religious in character, uh, less integrity in doing business. They don't trust each other. Outsiders did not trust people from Nazareth. There were issues in Nazareth, in the business community there, that were different than other communities. And so, why? Why Nazareth? Why did God, why did God say, you're going to grow up in Nazareth? I mean, whether all this stuff about Nazareth, how deep it goes, how, how true it is about what history says about it, Jesus grew up in a town that did not have a good reputation. And he's the son of God. And it caused me to start thinking about something. You ever wish you could just wave a magic wand and have your reality changed? Because often, all of us at one point or another live in our Nazareth. We, we live in the reality of the grind and it's not always what we would choose. And it always looks better if someone else looks at it than when you're actually in it, living it. Um, what does it mean to do life in Nazareth? To me, it speaks of the reality of hard work for our Lord. It speaks of the grinding it out every single day. The Son of God did not grow up with a silver spoon in His mouth. There is no mansion. There is no castle with a pool. There is no limo or Ferrari. Jesus had none of these things. There's no special perks or privileges. It's just Nazareth. And that's where He grew up. And here's the irony of this. The Bible is silent about the life of Jesus from the day he was born until age 12. Now, if you've had kids or if you're alive today, you know a lot happens from birth to 12 years old. Amen? A lot happens. So the Bible's silent. And I think that one of the reasons for that could be that God wants us to give us wants to give us this impression that Jesus had to grind it out in life just like we do. What was he doing? He was working hard. He was paying attention. He was learning obedience. He was learning humility. He was developing friends and relationships. He went through rejection. He went through hunger. He went through thirst. He went through weariness. Why? Why is the Son of God being put through this? So he could know you. So he could be touched by what you go through. You're not alone. He knows what it's like to be bored. He's stuck in skin, flesh and blood, and he's the son of God. How would you like that? I read one article, and I don't mean to you know, put down mankind at all because we're created in God's image. But he said, you know, being fully God and becoming fully man would be like us as man choosing to become a maggot. In a sense, it's, it's like, what's the least form possible of life to lose all of our ability mental, emotionally, in relationships to just become nothing? And, and Jesus grew up, and he, he, he faced all of this stuff just like we do. And here's the reality. Here's, here's the application. Will I choose to impact my Nazareth? It's where I live every day. Or am I going to spend, in our culture, what we typically do in our Nazareth is that we spend our lives trying to get out of it. We spend our lives trying to change our reality instead of saying, you know what, and there's nothing wrong with improving your life. But this, this is the idea. God has you where you are for a reason. And, and whatever it is, and, and it doesn't mean Nazareth is always poor. Nazareth could be 
that wealth is destroying your life. But misery is, is, is a part of that Nazareth, whatever it is in your life. And God's saying, will you use this stuff? Will you use the grind of your life, the pressure on you, everything that you face in the daily grind? Will you hand that over to me? And will you trust me that I have a plan for you in Nazareth? That is a big thing. I want to learn that. I really think it's important. The third question that I see in the Christmas story about the mess afterwards is, will I seize every opportunity for growth? Will I really know it when I have an opportunity to grow in my life? And there's lots of different types of growth that I want to talk about in a second. But there's there's this one verse in Luke 2 that has so many ramifications, it's impossible to open it all up. And there's another verse I'll read later that's very similar to it. But after it says they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, the very next verse says this, verse 40. There, meaning in Nazareth, the child grew up healthy and strong. And just the period right there at the end of that, we could talk about that sentence for quite a while. What does it mean to grow up healthy and strong? And then the next line says, he was filled with wisdom and God's favor was upon him. What do you suppose that means? I mean, that's a big statement. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was upon him. He grew up healthy and strong. I started thinking a lot about this and I guess I asked the question, what is it that causes us to be healthy and strong? What is it that that causes us to emotionally have power? Or willpower, or strength, or discipline. What is it that that we gain that causes us to do our future better? What are those things that bring maturity into your life? If I were to say uh, to you, "Are you growing right now?" Not physically. <laughs> After yesterday, we all are growing. Uh, but in in your intellect, in your wisdom, in your knowledge, your maturity. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are really growing right now? You, you're, 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 you know more of this book than you did last year. You've digested some thoughts, some principles. Some, there's something you've developed in the disciplines of your life that you didn't have uh, a few months ago. There's a growth process. See, the challenge, we can grow. I believe this. I, I've experienced that we can grow by, by an act of discipline to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this time in my day, I'm going to pray, I'm going to talk, I'm going to build my relationship, I'm going to expand. You can do that. But typically, what makes us grow? What do you think? (laughs) Challenges. I hate this part. Challenges make us grow. And, And it's not what we would choose. I think that's part of why Nazareth is in the picture here. I think it's, it's really interesting to me that, that I wouldn't wake up one day and said, I want to have more trials today than I have ever had. I want to face impossibilities that I know I can't solve. God would be like, wow, let's go. That's what I had in store for you. No, typically the minute we smell of something we don't want or wouldn't choose or, or it's, it's uncomfortable for us, we're like, oh God, where are you? You've abandoned me. God's saying, hush. We're working on your character today. Slow down and stay in this traffic. Get in line. You know, it, there's, there's, there's components of this that I see with Joseph and Mary that created an environment 
for Jesus to grow up healthy and strong. Moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, how you doing? What's the environment? How do we create healthy kids? How do we? This is a huge thing in our culture because because Jesus Jesus had parents who cared. He had a family. He had an extended family, as you'll see in a second, that really believed in him. And man, that makes a difference. And for those of you that you don't have that and you didn't grow up with that, you know what? You've had to fight your way with different strength and different disciplines than so many of us who had a, a family that would support us. And we're proud of you. And we thank God for you. But you can do it. Why? Because you have this Jesus who understands what you go through. And that is remarkable to me. You know the old phrase, don't just go through it, grow through it. Has anyone ever said that to you and you just wanted to slap them? It's like, you go through it, you grow through it. It's not an easy statement, but, but it's sort of true. It's true in the sense that we have choices that we make every day about our willingness to receive and respond to the circumstances that we are in. Whether we picked those or not. i got to move on. Last thing. Um, will I be available? For, number four in your outline. Will I be available for God's purpose? Most of us in these auditoriums today would say, of course. That's why I'm here. I want to do God's purpose. Well, it's a big thing to say, I will do the will of God. Not a scary thing. I don't believe it's scary. I think there's peace the whole journey. But I do believe it means I will work at developing my gifts, my passions, and I will, I will pursue how to use those in meaningful ways to, to change the environment I live in. And, and if you're doing that, then you are fulfilling God's purpose in your life. And let's look, at, let's look at this story. This is where we finally see Jesus pop back up at age 12. Luke chapter 2, verse 41, very next verse. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the, first, uh, the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they didn't like him anyway. No, it doesn't say that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the point. I'll explain how this happened in a minute. They didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and their friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later. Can you imagine this? I mean, this is a parent's worst nightmare. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. There's part of the piece of the puzzle of what, what he was doing till he was 12. The stuff he's reading, the development of his life. Verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. And here's mom. Don't you love this? Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Now, I don't know the tone of voice in which she said that. But the Bible doesn't say, but you put your own tone in there, okay? I guarantee you, she was, she was on it. And he says, but why did you need to search? I think he's bewildered by her re reaction there. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Very important. But look at this next line. And his mother... Stored or pondered 
Does that word remind you of anything a couple weeks ago? That Mary pondered all these things in her heart? She's still pondering. She stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew. Here's that, that verse that's similar to the one we read. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. When you first read this story, is it looking like we have a little family spat here going on? I mean, is it, you know, mom is upset at her son. Her son is saying, well, you know, I'm 12. What do you expect? I'm, I'm, I'm growing up. And all this, in a sense, yeah, there is a redefining of turf in their lives. There's no sin involved in any of this. Jesus was completely um, uh, disciplined to obey his parents. Scripture points that out. But there's something powerful about when teenagers, when young people begin to develop into their gifts, when you and I begin to find that plan, that purpose that we were born for and created for. And, and who, who will resist that in us and how will we press through the obstacles that can come in our lives? Some people say, how could Joseph and Mary not even though Jesus is with them. If you understand the culture here, it totally makes sense. Because always, when the Passover came, they would travel in large groups of like with their whole lineage family. It could be a few hundred people who went together. And there's cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents that usually even lived in a proximity to each other. You know, today in this culture, we sort of isolate ourselves. But in this culture, man, families were together. So they would travel these miles. They would camp out at night. And, you know, aunts and uncles are helping raise the kids. And everyone's speaking in everybody's lives. So they're all running over here, you know, catch up. Okay, we'll see you tonight. I totally get this. Because I, every summer for two weeks, I went to my, my grandparents' farm in Kansas with all my cousins, or most of them which is like way too many for grandparents to ever handle. But because they lived on a farm, um, basically we would have breakfast in the morning and then my grandma would say, out you go. And we would go down to the river and fish and take our BB guns. You know, we, we, it's one we didn't die, all the stuff that we did. And we would come home for lunch and lunch would be ready and, and we would go back out till dinner because we were not allowed to stay in the house. You know, and uh, we would be out all day. We would come home for dinner, literally. And grandma would say, where's Paul or where's Vanjie? And some of our cousins and I, we would be like, we don't know. They went up the river that way. And, and we don't know. Maybe they, maybe a snake got it. Maybe they drowned. Who cares? Let's eat. We're hungry. <laughs> so I get this. I totally get how this, this could happen. And finally, Joseph and Mary are like, where's Jesus? We thought he was with you and we saw him. No, he, they were, we thought... Ah, we got to go back. And it's amazing to me that they found this 12-year-old boy pursuing, pursuing with passion the purposes of God. How will you be found? Where will you be found? Will it be pursuing the purposes of God in your life? What will you be known for? What will mark you? This story is recorded. And we read it today and we know that even as a young man, teenagers, love you, believe in you. What are you pursuing? doesn't matter how many friends you have on Facebook if you're not pursuing God. If He's not your friend, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you know who He is and you will passionately pursue Him. For all of us, that's true. Am I doing that? Am I living that out? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You today. That Joseph had to change. He had to learn how to release this young man named Jesus.
Mary had to go through changes. She pondered these things. Lord, I pray for parents in this room. Learning how to let go. Learning how to let kids find independence. What a challenge. Lord, I pray for every person here today, for all of us to understand we're pursuing something. Will it be the things of God? Will we be found in the temple discussing truth? Wow. With heads bowed, eyes closed, just I just want us to have a little moment here where we pray for each other. If you would just be honest enough to say, you know what, God is talking to me about some of the changes I need to make. It might be in parenting skills as a grandparent, as a teenager. I, there's, some, there's some things as you, as you grow up, as your kids grow up, that you have to let go of it. And, and if you don't, you know what, you'll create a lot of pain for people. There's, there are seasons when we have to learn to go through changes. And I just want the Holy Spirit to, to prod us and carefully move us to some new fields today. To just say, you know what? In 2011, let's work on these things that will, will help us do this better. Because I can't just keep doing what I've always done. I'm in this with you guys. If you know God's prompting some specific things in you, would you just acknowledge it by lifting your hand to Him? Not to me, but just say, Lord, I hear you. You're talking to me. Father, we as a church, we just pray for those in these rooms to, to know that you really are speaking to them right now. That, that is your voice. And it's not because you're upset or frustrated. It's because of love and care. You want to take us to a new field where the grass is greener and we can learn more. And as we go through those challenges, you will be with us. Thank you for that. Lord, I think, I think we need you in such a big way. Secondly, how many of you would say, you know, I've got, I've got to finish things. I'm a starter, but I haven't finished some things very well, and I tend to get distracted and move on to the next big goal, and I think God's prompting me to be a finisher this year. There might be two or three things you need to really finish well. And maybe in your life, too, uh, depending on what stage of life you're in, um, that you, you want to finish doing the things that matter most, if it's raising kids or preparing for later in, in life. If, but just the discipline to say, I care about those things. Anybody? Amen. Me too. And the last thing that I, I've, I had a couple of these on my list uh, in the last couple of weeks, I know this one was, sometimes I feel like I'm living in, in, the, in the mess of Nazareth. And it's, it's not always everything I sort of hoped it would be or the dream I had. And it's, it's my reality. And by the way, I do love my reality, and you probably love yours. But the truth of it is, there's always, there are always going to be things that you just somehow, you wish you could tweak them a little bit. You wish this relationship was a little better or it wasn't that tough or you, you could redo something. But I want to pray over those of us who have some of the Nazareth is just, man, it's just the grind of it all. It's a challenge for us. Amen. Lord, help us. I just thank you for people who are willing to live in Nazareth, their Nazareth, whatever it is, and to grind it out there. And to not just always live in a wish land, a fairy tale land of what the dream is, but to recognize they're in a dream. They're, they're living your purpose right now. And sometimes it's the, the trials and the challenges that, that put us farther into the reality of doing your will, though it's not easy. So thank you. We do love you. We, we, we pledge that today again. Thank you so much, Lord, for this. The last Sunday of 2010, hard to believe it. 
We just lay our lives down and ask you for direction and guidance as we go into next year. We thank you. Lord, for anyone in these auditoriums that might not know you personally, that just need to right now come clean and ask you for forgiveness of their own sin. I just pray over them right now that they'll know you love them, you care about them. You're a God who who knows every detail of their life. If that's you, just say this with me. Lord, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. By faith I come to you. I, I yield. I give you my life. And I believe. I trust you for my future. Thank you for being the Son of God who died on a cross for my sin and rose from the dead. I give you my future. In your name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for all that we have talked about these last weeks, that you have been born. Thank you, Lord, that not only were you born, but you grew up. You developed in stature and wisdom. Help us to do the same as we mature, as we walk through this life. Lord, send us out of your knowing. Sometimes the mess after Christmas is exactly where you meet us. We are never alone because you are with us. I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you want to be prayed over for some reason, come on up here. Our prayer team will be in both auditoriums to pray for you. God bless you. Thanks for coming to Timberline. Go by the tables.